Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the x Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast, presented by SeatGeek, the best place to buy tickets. Download the SeatGeek app on your smartphone and save $20 off your first purchase using promo code SOXMACHINE. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the week of August 13th, 2018. On this week's show, we'll recap the Cleveland Indians series, where we saw Carlos Rodon throw one of his best starts in his career. And in the last month, we've seen him become one of the best pitchers in all of Major League Baseball. Is he the best starting pitcher in all of Chicago? We'll tackle that question, plus Adam Engel's awesome week with the glove. Could he be a gold glove favorite in the outfield. Is it time to push Dylan Covey to the bullpen after his last outing? And we'll preview the key series this upcoming week. No, no, not the White Sox versus Tigers, but the Charlotte Knights against the Buffalo Bisons. Eloy Jimenez versus Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Can't wait. We'll recap the action in this week's minor league report and answer your questions in P.O. Sox. A very tough week for the White Sox as they finish 1-5, but obviously the competition being the New York Yankees and the Cleveland Indians, not entirely shocking. Joining us on the Sox Machine podcast is our good friend. He's the Chicago White Sox beat reporter for MLB.com. It's Scott Merkin. And hello, Scott. Thanks for coming on the show. No problem, Josh. Always a pleasure. Uh, Obviously, it was a tough week for the White Sox. It's been a tough season for the players in that clubhouse. The season record is 42 and 75. How has the mood been inside the clubhouse? You know, I think it's a good close-knit group, but I mean, you look at, I think in the moment, there's obviously some disappointment. You know, no one wants to lose 75 of 117 games, right? Rebuild or no rebuild. And let's face it, this team was not designed to win this year. I think it was probably designed to be a little bit better than what it is right now. But take as an example, James Shields, I happened to be talking to him a little bit before Sunday's game. And yeah, he's not happy to be 4-14 and 14 overall and pitched a lot better than that record. I mean, what, 18 of his last 21 starts, he's gone at least six innings. And we're not talking like a guy you stick out there no matter what and he's given up seven or eight runs. He's pitched pretty darn well, you know, with a few rough ones in the middle there. And, yeah, he was ticked after losing last night. But like you said, about a half hour after that, you kind of forget about it and move on. And then he goes back to, you know, I mean, he's been really good working with the young players. So, yeah, I mean, they don't want to be this poor overall and they you know they there's been times that they have not played very good baseball this year but they, they do play hard 
they do play to the last out, which is a credit to them. It'd be very easy to just kind of say, we're rebuilding, we're about to be eliminated, let's just mail this sucker in. And, you know, you saw in the Sunday game against Cleveland, they scored four runs, <laughs> excuse me, four runs against Dan Otero and Cody Allen and had, you know, the winning run at the play, or, yeah, the winning run at the play two times, right, in Delmonico and Sanchez. So, you know, credit to them. Credit to them for hanging in there. I don't see, I certainly don't see a negative attitude. I, you know, I see what you would expect from good, hard-nosed competitors that, they know what's the what the overall theme is, but they also know they don't want to lose this much. Big lineup change for this weekend as manager Rick Renteria dropped Yohan Mikata down in the order. Even though he's batting left-handed, he wasn't batting leadoff. He was batting eighth. He got bumped up a little bit on Sunday. What are your thoughts about this change? And do you think that this will stick for the rest of the season, which we won't see Yohan Mikata batting leadoff? Yeah, I think it's it's a fluid situation, but I think what happened, they wanted to Maybe, you know, I mean, he's his strikeouts are getting up there. I think he might be at 167 now after Sunday's game as of the taping of this. And, yeah, he understands. He knows what's going on. But maybe, they you know, they want to lessen a few of the at-bats and try and keep that number down a little bit. But I think more than anything, just taking a little pressure off him from the top spot and let him look at some pitches, kind of lay back a little bit in that lineup and just kind of watch other guys before he's got to get in there. Although Rick Renteria did say today that Moncada loves hitting leadoff, and Moncada has said that to us. I will say this about Moncada. This is a kid who really has a good demeanor for the, you know, the, the spot he's been cast in is one of the top White Sox prospects. And really what, for, until he got called up in 17, the top prospect in baseball, according to MLB Pipeline. And win or lose, he's got the same demeanor. And that's a good thing because, you know, as we know, a lot of times what separates guys who succeed in baseball from getting knocked out of baseball, even with all the talent in the world, is how you handle failure. And it's an old cliche, but it's true that, you know, it's a game of failure. The guy who hits, you know, three times in 10 at-bats is, is an all-star and maybe, you know, moving towards a batting title in this day and age. But he, he gets it's a process. He gets it this is his first full year, and he gets that he's got to make some corrections. You know, I talked to him in, I think it was Anaheim, about strikeouts, and he said that's something that he really wants to tackle in the offseason. And I think he probably needs to be a little more aggressive within the strike zone so he doesn't get the counts. It's great that he's got this great batting eye, but you also can't let every count get to like 2-2, two, 3-2, two, two, where, you know, you take the the chance sometimes out of your own hands and leave it in the umpire or leave it in, you know, a tough situation. So it's all a learning curve. And to say that right now he's just not going to be it is is foolish. You can say, yeah, it's not been a good season for Yol Moncada. There's been some good things. Mm-hmm. He's probably going to finish with 20 home runs and 60, 65 RBIs and 20 to 25 stolen bases, or 20 stolen bases probably. But you can also say it's not been the year that people expected, so there's more room for development there. But that's the point of the rebuild, right? I mean, you know, it's probably 2020 before this team is really full go. So you let guys like Moncada and Giolito and Lopez kind of work through their troubles now maybe a little bit of Anderson last year so they can really be you know on the right page when it comes time to go after Carlos Rodon was awesome Friday night eight scoreless innings against Cleveland and it just seems with each and every start lately he's getting stronger but Rodon has to go through an evolution where he needs to learn to be the guy right when he came up it was Chris Sale Jose Catana and in some ways Jeff Samarja for that one season when Rodon was getting started now it's Carlos Rodon and James Shields, who is towards the end of his career, and the new guys, Ronaldo Lopez and Lucas Giolito. Do you think, when you speak with Carlos Rodon, that he's ready to take on the ace mantle for this ball club? Yeah, I think so. But Josh, what do you think of this? I mean, I talked to him right when he came back, and he said, yeah, he wants to be the guy. He wants to be the guy leading this rotation. But he also said they want to be in a situation where every guy taking the mound, you know, every you know one through five days, is the ace on that day. And that kind of makes sense. And that's the point of this depth they're building where, again, you see a lot of guys dominating in the minor leagues and there's a big jump to the majors to see what they can do. But you see guys like Kopech and you see guys like Cease. And last year you saw Alec Hansen doing it and some other names that I'm forgetting. And then, like you said, Lopez and, you know, in the major leagues and Giolito. So I think, you know, you don't want to have to rely on one guy, but I think he can be it. You know, Mark Carmen, who does a nice job on the pre and post game for the White Sox, one of the guys who does it there. It was asked Ricky, I think it was either, I think it was to, maybe today or post game last night about Rodon dealt with a, um, a catcher's interference that extended, you know, his last inning and kind of stepped off the mound, you know, just kind of composed himself and got through the inning. And that's what you like to see. The biggest thing I think for Carlos 
two biggest things is getting ahead in the count so he can use that slider, which is arguably already one of the better sliders in baseball. And then the second one is just he knows he's healthy now. He said that a couple times to me and in groups, and I'm sure other reporters too. You know, even last year when he came back and pitched pretty well for a stretch, I think there was still something in the back of his mind that maybe I'm not there 100%. Had the surgery. They did a great job of rehabbing him through it, as they always do. He's ready to go, and he's confident and knows he can let it loose and not worry about being injured. So, yeah, I think you're starting to see, you know, the guy. And, and there's a good example when you look back at Moncada. He was – was certainly never a guy who struggled, but he probably wasn't, you know, right off the bat a top-of-the-rotation guy. And as you astutely pointed out, he didn't have to be. And now that he's healthy and is learning a little more, you know, he's got it going, and he, he is moving towards the top of that rotation. Dylan Covey struggled again on Sunday as he couldn't get out of the third inning. Are you hearing any plans of Covey possibly being moved out of the starting rotation and into the bullpen? You know, we asked Ricky Postgame about that, and to be fair to Ricky, that really isn't his style. You know, he's not a knee-jerk reaction kind of guy, so we didn't really expect him to say, oh, yeah, this is, there's a change coming. You know, what he did say is right now Dylan Covey is part of our rotation, and, you know, him and Cooper sit down and talk about it, Don Cooper, the pitching coach, of course, and go from there. I will say this. I thought Dylan Covey in the beginning of this year is one of the better stories, underrated stories in baseball. You know, those first six starts mm-hmm. were amazing after what he had to go through last year. You know, because of this Rule 5 rule, he had to be on the Major League roster the whole season when he was not ready to be on a Major League roster. I think he had pitched like six games at double A or above at that point, and he knows that, but he took the kind of drubbing in stride and learned a lot. And then the kid comes out and for God's sake, you know, beats Sale in a one nothing game, then beats the Indians when I think Trevor Bauer started the next game. And here he goes. But, you know, I think we all kind of said, this is great, good for him for coming back, but let's see where he's at in 15, you know, 15 stars, 18 stars, whatever it is. And I will say this, that I think he has some value. You know, he's got a great sinker. But I, I think there's every right to say at this point, he's now gone, what, 10 starts where I think he's one in, one in eight or one in nine. I think he has one no decision in there. And his ERA is near nine. And, I mean, that's a pretty significant body of work at this point. So I think, and, you know, let's face it, there's a guy down in the, in the minor leagues named Michael Kopech who has struck out 15, walked four in his last six stars, covering like 38 and two-thirds innings. So it only makes sense. I'm not saying to give up on Dylan Covey. That's the whole point of this rebuild is let him go and figure out what you have in each guy. You know, but you, you have all these starting pitchers, and unless they change the rules of baseball and go with like a two-man bullpen, you're not going to have a 10-man starting staff. So some guys are going to have to end up in the bullpen, and some guys will play a very valuable role in the bullpen. But I, I don't know if it's, you know, I, I think it, it depends more, not so much on Dylan, because they've seen the good and they've seen the bad. It depends on what they want to do with a guy like Kopech, because he would be, I, nothing against Hector, who's done a nice job filling every role this year, but I don't think he's going into the rotation. So I think it's either Dylan keeps going or Kopech comes up and takes his spot. There was a very nice ceremony Saturday night for Jim Tomey for going into the Hall of Fame. By the way, his daughter can belt out the national anthem. If you haven't heard Jim Tomey's daughter sing yeah, the national anthem. Yeah, wasn't she great? Tremendous. And, I mean, she did it in, in Cooperstown in front of like 60,000. So anything in any stadium is pretty much downhill from there. Yeah, right? absolutely. Uh, you covered Tomey when he was with the White Sox and when he was a nightmare yes, yes. as an opponent for the White Sox. Uh, what was your experience covering Tomey during his playing days? Well, I, can, I, I think I can clean this story up, and if not, you can – you can edit it out or whatever. But I know Kenny Williams told me when I did a story about, I think he, when he went into the hall or when he was going to be on the ballot for the first time, that him and Jerry Reinsdorf, who is almost kind of like a second father to Jim at this point, used to call him Jim F. and Tommy in Cleveland because he'd just kill him every time. You know, it would always be him getting the big hit. I mean, people ask me, is Jim Tommy as nice as he seems? And I said, no, actually, he's nicer, if you can believe that. And I mean, just living the American dream. He's this great, just gentleman, one of the great players of the game, Hall of Famer. His wife, who's equally as nice as Jim, is an is a acclaimed writer now. His daughter is a musical performer and has that great voice. His son's, you know, a burgeoning baseball player, which his dad coaches him and that kind of thing. It's funny, I asked Jim Saturday about, does your son's friends and his teammates realize you're Jim Tommy? And he said, yeah, you know, when they're stretching, I hear him talking about, you know, uh, Mike Trout and Moncada and Jose Abreu. He goes, every now and then they throw my name in there, but not too often. So, because he's, <laughs> he's landed dead to them for the most part. But Josh, just as, as good a guy and as genuine a nice guy as you can meet. And just so happy for him that he went in the first ballot, happy for his whole family. And really has, you know, he played what parts of four seasons in Chicago, but really has 
you know, is the kind of hometown boy from Peoria, done done good, has carved out a niche and really, I said really four times now, but has taken this job, not that you would think you'd do anything else, but has taken this job very seriously as the assistant, special assistant to Rick Hahn, where he's all over the place. You know, he's doing everything. He's in, you know, draft meetings. He's looking at minor leaguers. He's talking to minor leaguers, helping minor leaguers. So he's a great addition to have in the team. And I should say one more thing, you know, he wouldn't totally rule out managing he didn't say he managing the Sox, but managing period in the future when he was asked by uh bruce levine on saturday and you know he said in all honesty he didn't think he'd come back to a job in baseball as quickly as he did so we'll see but again can't say enough about just what a what a gentleman and a great man jim Tomey is yeah i i think you'd be a great hitting coach for somebody in the major leagues you know i i listened to him on mlb network and the same with frank thomas too I think if you put those two together in an interview, it's like a PhD in hitting. It is. And, and you could throw Paul Canerco in there too. You know, I mean, just they know so much about the happened. And I think <clears throat> Jim is very relatable too. So he would be. But again, he's got kids who are, you know, younger. So this may be right now just the perfect situation for him to, you know, do the work he does with the White Sox and still be able to see his daughter perform and coach his son and be, be home with the family. You can follow Scott on Twitter. You better because, again, he covers the team every single day. He's at Scott Merkin. And, of course, read his excellent work covering the Chicago White Sox on MLB.com. Scott, as always, thanks for coming on the show and enjoy the trip to Detroit. I will, you know, it's close to Ann Arbor, so that's always a good thing. <laughs> a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. Football is back, and SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every game all season long. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out with friends, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for great value. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket-buying experience easier than ever. By searching multiple ticket sites and grading every ticket based on value, SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. And it doesn't end with sports. SeatGeek has plenty of tickets to concerts, comedy, and theater, too. I actually have the SeatGeek app on my phone. It's by far the easiest way i found to shop for tickets. I actually just used SeatGeek to buy tickets to this past Saturday game with the White Sox and Cleveland Indians for Jim Tomey Bobblehead Day. Really easy to use. Found four great seats in section 531 for under 50 bucks, and I used SeatGeek again to get me tickets when the Angels come to visit Chicago as it would be great to see Mike Trout in person as always and you bet that if the White Sox call up Michael Kopech or Eloy Jimenez that I'm going to be using SeatGeek to buy those tickets and be there in person to watch their debuts. Best of all, Sox Machine listeners get to save $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code SOXMACHINE. That's promo code SOXMACHINE for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event we have the tickets. Now joining me to further the conversation from this weekend series against the Cleveland Indians and look ahead as the Chicago White Sox travel to Detroit is the host of the Duck Snort podcast. You can also listen to him on the Sox machine, White Sox wake up call. It's Greg Nix. And hello, Greg. Thanks for filling in for Jim. Hey, Josh. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. I hear that you have a new web series for Nickelodeon. What's that all about? Uh, yeah, you probably heard because I told you and asked you if I could talk about it for a second. Uh, yeah, I've got this new animated web series on Nickelodeon YouTube, Nickelodeon's YouTube channel, uh, and I just wanted to plug it real quick for people who have kids or people who just like cartoons. That's what I do in my day job is I make cartoons, and so the series is called Space Kid and Cat. Uh, you can find it on Nickelodeon's YouTube channel. Just search for that, Space Kid and Cat. There's two episodes. The second episode just came out yesterday. Uh, and I would very much love it if people would check it out so they can uh, see what I do and also just uh, see something that I think is very entertaining. Space Kid and Cat. So what's the plot all about? Uh, well, it's about a kid in space and a cat. Uh, it's sort of like... Uh, 
Kelvin and Hobbes inspired in a way. They're sort of they're in a cardboard box rocket ship. They're lost in space. They're trying to find their way back home. Uh, it's got a lot of like you know sci-fi influences, Rick and Morty, and Star Wars, and uh, a ton of different stuff. Um, and it's just super goofy and super fun. Well, that's awesome. So yeah, if you do have kids or if you like cartoons in general. Definitely check that out on Nickelodeon's YouTube channel. Awesome stuff, Greg. Thank you, sir. Not so awesome is the uh, the White Sox. They are forty two <laughs> and seventy five. I put money on them before the season started to have them go over sixty eight and a half wins. So that means, Greg, the White Sox have to go twenty seven and eighteen the rest of the season to hit the over. How do you like my chances? I do not think your chances are very good. I'm sorry to tell you, but I'm in the same boat. I thought, I think I picked them for like 74 wins or something before this season, and they are not going to sniff that. Are they going to hit 60 wins? I don't, I don't even know the answer to that question. Uh, yeah, not even a safe bet. Yeah. Oh, man. Not looking good. But there are some positives out of this weekend. And let's start with the biggest positive. And that's Carlos Rodon continuing the conversation that I had with Scott Merkin. But looking at it from a different angle, you know, with Rodon, he had a terrific outing. And in his last four starts in the last 30 days, Rodon has a 1.29 ERA over 29 and a third inning. So Rodon is going deep into games, averaging more than seven innings per start in the last month. And he's keeping the opponents off the scoreboard. For the season, Rodon has a 2.61 ERA and 11 starts with 58 strikeouts to 28 walks. So it got me thinking, just for 2018, is Carlos Rodon the best starting pitcher in Chicago, Greg? Which of course means we're comparing Rodon to the starting pitchers with the Chicago Cubs. Yeah, I think... It depends how you frame that argument. If you're talking about right this second, I think there is a very strong argument. Um, he's, he's you know, on a hot streak. Uh, he's pitched very well, as you mentioned. And I think sort of as importantly, John Lester is not pitching well for the Cubs. Uh, Kyle Hendricks is pitching okay. Jose Quintana has not been the same pitcher this year that we saw in Chicago. Um, and you, Darvish, of course, is hurt. So I think... In terms of uh, effectiveness right now, I think Rodon probably is the best starting pitcher in Chicago. I think for the whole season, I might take, uh, I, I might put my bet on Lester bouncing back a little bit um, and kind of finish, finishing out the season strong enough to, you know, have been the more durable pitcher, have been the more consistent overall pitcher. Um, but I think. You know, it's hard to be disappointed in him, certainly as a White Sox fan, and I think he's setting himself up very well next year to be sort of the most dominant pitcher in Chicago if he can tighten up his command a little bit and start missing a few more bats. Yeah, it's just, it's a bit fascinating to me on the struggles, and I shouldn't even say struggles, because the Chicago Cubs are the best team in the National League. If the season were to end, they would have the number one seed and have home field advantage for the National League part of the postseason, but for pitching wise, they're having difficulties getting deep into their starts. And then on the south side, you're watching Carlos Rodon very quietly compared to what is happening around Major League Baseball. I don't think if you asked any pundits that cover the game nationally on who has been the best starting pitcher in terms of ERA in the last month that they would think of Carlos Rodon. They would probably think of a lot of different other pitchers, and obviously Chris Sale would be up there as well. Uh, I think Chris Sale's number one despite going on the DL. He's got like a .70 ERA, uh, but a 1.29 ERA in his last four starts. I mean, Carlos Rodon is definitely dealing. It just got me thinking, man, I, I bet the Cubs would feel a lot more comfortable if they had a Carlos Rodon in their starting rotation compared to some of the struggles that they're having, but I think I agree with you at this moment, at this part of the season, what has transpired? Carlos Rodon, I do think is the best starting pitcher in the city of Chicago, which is something that I guess I wasn't expecting to say, but it's something that we've always been saying about Rodon, even when Jose Quintana was with the White Sox, that while Quintana was pitching better than Rodon in the long run, uh, as far as in terms of overall stuff, Rodon had more talent than Jose Quintana. Do you think that Rodon is 
that this stretch here, Greg, is the turning point for him where he can elevate his game and be the pitcher that White Sox fans were hoping that he would be ever since they drafted him third overall. I think it can be. I think he's always had the stuff for it. Um, He's maybe a little bit smarter pitcher in a way. It's a little bit cliched maybe to say, but maybe sort of the injury problems have uh, made him become a little bit more savvy in the way that he uses his stuff. Um, And yeah, it's just really encouraging to see that, you know, hopefully all of this potential won't be lost. I mean, he's still just 25. uh, And like, it, it takes a lot of pressure, I think, off of you know, your Copex, uh, Gilito, Lopez, you know, just the entire uh, sort of minor league pitching depth chart can slot, move down one slot and take pressure off of everybody to reach their absolutely maximum capability. And I think that's kind of, in a way, a big reason why they started the rebuild when they did. Uh, I think that probably factored into you know, the front office's decision of, well, we'll, we can theoretically build a winner and still slot Rodon in at the top like we envisioned when we drafted him. Yeah, for the Chicago Cubs, Kyle Hendricks leads the team in wins above replacement at 1.5. So kind of going back to looking at the entire season and looking up what Carlos Rodon's wins above replacement is, and I'm using fan graphs for this. So if there is a better number for Cubs starting pitchers on either baseball prospectus or baseball reference, definitely hit me up on Twitter with that. Uh, But for Carlos Rodon, he's currently at 0.9 wins above replacement. So Hendricks is above him by more than half a win. Jose Catana is at 0.8 wins above replacement. For 2018. And Katana's made far more starts. I yeah, I, I wonder what's it, going on. It's kind of a bummer with Quintana. You know, he uh, is definitely, of all the guys who could have been <laughs> traded to the Cubs, I think he's one who, you know, I would have kept rooting for and I am rooting for. But mm-hmm. he, uh, it's it, he's not the same pitcher that he has been, which isn't to say that he can't get it back, but the command is not there. Uh, and it kind of goes to show you that I guess maybe that's a counterexample to saying, oh, well, Rodon's going to be great next year is that uh, starting pitchers are not reliable, even really reliable ones like Jose Quintana. Yeah, and I'm still rooting for Jose Quintana to have that big moment to prove to Cubs fans because it just feels like ever since he's joined the North side, he's had to prove himself to be this elite starting pitcher and... Based on his season numbers, he's not living up to that standard. So already, even though Rodon has made 11 starts this year, he has been slightly more valuable than all of the starts for Jose Quintana, which has been 20-plus starts, which is pretty fascinating. And the arrow is definitely pointing up for Carlos Rodon. He, right now, he's the only – when he pitches, Greg, it's the only time that I feel confident that the White Sox can win a game. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, or at, at- yeah, at least relatively certain that it will be a watchable game. You know, you can't necessarily, <laughs> as the True. Cleveland series showed us, you can't necessarily count on the White Sox scoring more than, say, one run. Uh, but you can see them <laughs> uh, having a chance. Uh, b- by the way, I'm on Rodon's baseball reference page, and uh, his B-War is actually 2.6, um, wow. which in less than half a season of innings. You know, his there his FIP isn't great, his fielding independent numbers and the strikeout to walk is not necessarily what you would want to see, but for a guy coming off of shoulder surgery, I think uh two and a half wins in seventy two and a third innings is uh just about the most you can ask for. Looking ahead, let's say he continues at this pace. Should we pencil in Carlos Rodon to have a five wins above replacement season if you're using baseball references? metric uh i maybe very very light pencil you know we we haven't (laughs) that's why i said pencil not yeah yeah i think uh you know we haven't seen him pitch 200 innings uh his highest innings pitch is 165 so i think he has a long way to go to prove that he can make 30 starts in a season um but 
you know, he's showing that he can be effective and be effective in a number of different ways, uh, which, again, is more than, you know, I, and Jim's talked about it on the show, I think, but you watch him and you can see the wheels turn a little bit differently, you know, versus a, a start like G, a starter like Giolito or Lopez. You know, he has that experience and he has that confidence in his stuff to change up his looks and, you know, reach back and get extra velocity or bury that slider for a strikeout pitch. So, Right now, he definitely looks head and shoulders above the rest of the starters on the White Sox staff, and I think uh, he's got a ways to go before you can say, oh, he's definitely an all-star, but um, considering that we didn't even know, (laughs) we weren't certain he could even pitch this year, you know, or we weren't certain at the very least that he would pitch before August, and now it's August and he's 11 starts deep and is very effective. I mean, that's a huge win. It is. It is. And it's a great sign. And it's one aspect to give White Sox fans hope for the 2019 season that it won't be a complete loss. Now, I have a couple other questions that I was thinking about after this weekend. Adam Engel had three spectacular home run robbing catches this week alone, where the first one was, oh my gosh, that could be catch of the year. Then the second time, no, that's the catch of the year. And then the third time, my God, <laughs> this guy just keeps re-upping himself this week. Uh, just incredible de- defensive plays by Adam Engel. So I have to ask, do you think that Adam Engel could win a gold glove for his defense in center field this year? I don't think this year, probably. I think, you know, he he might have to settle for like number one on the Sports Center top 10 this week or something like that. Um, I think... You know, the the highlight reel grabs are there, but there's a couple things working against him in terms of winning an award. Um, one is that the StatCast really loves uh, his defense. I think he's now second or third in baseball in uh, outs above average, but the other advanced metrics don't really love him. Defensive run saved and uh, ultimate zone rating. And those are the ones that go into the sabermetric portion of the gold glove voting. Um and then, so, you know, he's not going to get this huge boost from the sabermetric numbers in terms of that percentage of the voting. Then on top of that, you know, there's not a lot of name recognition. He's not necessarily even a full-time player. Uh, he's on pace for 144 games, but I think a lot of that is, or a, a portion of that at least, is defensive replacements. Um, so I think he needs more of like a Gerard Dyson type of uh league-wide awareness for him to be in consideration. And certainly the highlight reel grabs will help that, but I I don't think it's quite enough to also overcome the fact that, you know, he's not a good hitter. Uh, Sunday's game, like, in in spite of Sunday's game, in which he sort of was a one-man band with the homer and the triple, he's a really bad hitter, still one of the worst in the league. Uh, you know, with improvement this year he has improved over last year certainly um and it would be nice to see those improvements carried forward but even though gold glove is a defensive award i think you know every most people are aware that there is some level of offensive consideration that subliminally goes into uh, voters choices so you know i think uh there's a lot of more productive offensively uh more well regarded sabermetrically and better name recognition guys. Oh, and then the other thing is they it's three outfield slots, so they don't even have to choose a center fielder. So even if he's the best center fielder, you know, you could see it going to Mookie Betts and Brett Gardner and uh, Alex Gordon or something like that. So I just don't think this is the year for him, but that doesn't take anything away from what he did this week, certainly. And then my last thought from this weekend, is it time to push Dylan Covey to the bullpen. He was not very good in his Sunday start, could not even get through the third inning, so you can't even blame T-Top this time for his poor start. Do you think it's time to push him to the bullpen? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it was time weeks ago. You know, uh, they, he's this is the uh, he's allowed more than four runs in nine out of his last ten starts, with the exception being the one gem that he threw. Uh, his ERA is just about nine over those 10 starts. I mean, it's pretty clear at this point that without kind of significant alterations to his pitching style, by which I mean more 
or better pitches, uh, more better stuff. He he doesn't have the skills to get through five innings reliably without giving up four or five runs. Um, yeah, it's 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 well past time, I think. And hopefully, you know, you hate to see him have a bad start, and you hate to see him sort of get blown up right from the beginning instead of you know through pitching well through a couple of innings, but. You, you got to hope that this is the thing that finally says to the front office, like, hello, call up Michael Kopech. You know, Kobe's next turn. Mm-hmm. I wrote about it in the game recap today, but Kobe's next turn is on Saturday night in Chicago against the worst offense in the majors, the Royals. So I don't know what better major league debut situation you could drop Co- uh, Kopech into. Yeah, right now, Michael Kopech is on pace for his next start is Thursday, August 16th against Louisville, which so happens to be an off day for the White Sox. So it may not even be Saturday night. You can still push Kobe to the bullpen, but you can have Michael Kopech start game one of that series against the Royals Friday night, have him fly to Chicago, give him an extra day, and suit him up and go for it. I mean, I have tickets for Saturday night already, Um, but I will definitely buy tickets Friday night, and I'm sure a lot of people (laughs) would buy tickets Friday night that live in Chicago if Michael Kopech makes that start. I I totally agree with you, Greg, and I think it would give somebody dependable that Rick Renteria can count on to throw an inning just in case if Michael Kopech doesn't have the best of starts. If he only lasts four innings, well, okay, then you can throw in Dylan Covey or Hector Santiago, and you can get through a game without having to burn the bullpen or give Renteria still an opportunity to burn through four pitchers in the eighth inning like he likes to do. Um, (laughs) But yeah, at this point, I agree with you. I think it's time to push Dylan Covey to the bullpen. And I 100% agree with you. There is no better team for a young starting pitcher to get his first start in the major leagues right now than against the Kansas City Royals. So I say it is time, but I've been saying it's been time for a while, so it's probably never going to happen. All right, so that recaps as far as what happened this weekend. Let's take a look at the week ahead. The Chicago White Sox will be visiting Detroit Monday through Wednesday. The Detroit Tigers are 49-69. and They're six and a half games ahead of the Chicago White Sox in the American League Central standings. And your pitching probables for this series starting on Monday. It is a 6-10 p.m. Central time start. It is Ronaldo Lopez, which Lopez did pitch much better in his last start against the New York Yankees, he's going up against Artie Lewicki. I have no idea who Artie Lewicki is, uh, but he fills in for Mike Fear. So it'll be interesting to see what Mr. Artie Lewicki has against the Chicago White Sox. He is a right-handed starter. On Tuesday, August 14th, 6.10 p.m. Central Time, it is Lucas Giolito against left-hander Blaine Hardy. And on Wednesday, August 15th, this is a 12.10 p.m. Central Time game. So for those that will be at work, you'll be having to watch during your lunch. For you, Greg, you'll be waking up in the morning in the Pacific Coast time. (laughs) Those Uh, are my favorite games. I love the morning (laughs) games out here. Uh, It is Carlos Rodon against Jordan Zimmerman, which Zimmerman has been pitching much better as of late. So that will be the key game. And again, the White Sox are off Thursday, August 16th before they have a three-game series against the Kansas City Royals back at home in Chicago. All right, so that's your pitching probables for the Tigers series. Greg, what are you hoping to see from the Chicago White Sox in these three games in Detroit? Uh, I'd like to see sort of a an offensive bounce back from this Indian series and the, and the Yankees series as well. I think, uh, you know, the bats came alive at the end of the game on Sunday. Um, so maybe they can roll that momentum in. Cause yeah, the Detroit pitchers, none of them jump out at you on, on paper. None of them should have the stuff to keep the offense down. So I'd like to see Moncada keep hitting. I'd like to see Anderson come through with some more hits and just sort of, uh, something to build on, you know, going through the rest of the season for those guys. And honestly, I'd I'd love to see a series win. I mean, I think on paper you could argue that uh Lopez and Rodon at the very least have the advantage in those starting matchups. Um so I don't see why, you know, the Detroit is bad, has been bad, is weaker than they were earlier this season um after trading a few guys. Uh so I, I, I don't see why they couldn't 
win the series if they play well. All right, so a little confidence for the 2018 Chicago White Sox going on the road. And that's where my confidence escapes, Greg. (laughs) Uh, If the White Sox win one of these three games, I'll be happy. If they can win the series, they'll even be happier. I just hope that – I think you hit it right on the head. Offensively, support Carlos Rodon because I think Rodon is going to throw another gem. He's probably going to keep Detroit off the scoreboard or limit them to one to two runs over seven innings. But don't make him sweat. Like, give him some offensive support that he can feel a little comfortable in. But again, it seems that when the pressure is on and the situations are tighter, Carlos Rodon pitches better. So I'm really looking forward to Carlos Rodon's start. And I hope Lucas Giolito can have a bounce back start as well and kind of follow you know, the coattails over Ronaldo Lopez and Carlos Rodon. And hopefully he can pick up his game. So it'll be interesting three games in Detroit. However... If you don't want to watch the White Sox go to Detroit to play that series, if you don't want to watch two bad Major League teams square off, may I give you another suggestion to watch baseball games Monday through Wednesday? How about down in Charlotte as the Buffalo Bisons will be visiting the Charlotte Knights? Now, you're probably thinking, why do I want to watch a Buffalo versus Charlotte Game. I mean, yeah, it'd be great to see Eloy Jimenez, but you just told me, Josh, that Michael Kopech's not pitching at least until Thursday if he stays with Charlotte. Well, it's because Vladimir Guerrero Jr. plays for Buffalo. So, yes, we are getting Eloy versus Vlad Jr. Monday through Wednesday. Greg, is that enticing enough for you to skip out watching some of the White Sox and Tigers game this week and instead watch the Knights and the Bisons? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it uh, definitely sounds appealing. I don't have the minor league package, so I'll oh, yeah, I'll probably okay. be sticking to Twitter highlights. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Vlad is like the one hitting prospect that everybody seems to think is superior to Aloy, so I would definitely love to see Aloy prove those doubters wrong, uh, <laughs> smack a couple dingers, and... Uh, you know, look good in comparison. Uh, but yeah, it should be, should be an exciting, uh, few games. And I'm sure you will be cutting highlights for YouTube for those of us who can't watch. Yes, I will be doing that. And I will definitely be having that game on a second screen when I'm watching the White Sox and Tigers game. It's just amazing on how well Vladimir Guerrero Jr is performing in AAA at the age of 19. Eloy Jimenez has been awesome, and he's putting up numbers, and he's doing things that I've never seen any White Sox prospect do. And do not be surprised, guys, if that Eloy Jimenez joins the White Sox and he lights the world on fire in his first month with the ball club, and he looks superior to Yohan Mikata offensively, just because I think Jimenez will be superior offensively than Yohan Mikata. But Vladimir Guerrero Jr., my God. I mean, it's just like he's one-upping Eloy Jimenez, and I cannot wait until both of these guys are in the major leagues, and I'm really getting annoyed with service time <laughs> discussions <laughs> because, honestly, Vlad Jr., with especially with Josh Donaldson hurt, it'd be so exciting for a lost Toronto Blue Jays season to see him And I can see where you'd say, you don't want to call up a 19-year-old for the last month and a half. Okay, fine. Whatever. You want to use age? Fine. Um, But I think he should be with the Blue Jays right now and because he's going to be with the Blue Jays in 2019. And if they pull any service time stunts (laughs) in the 2019 season, uh, then I, I don't know what to say. If I would be a Blue Jays fan, I'd just quit baseball and just watch hockey, I guess. <laughs> well, and the you know, the talking about service time, I think uh the Blue Jays are more likely to be contenders next year probably than the White Sox are. Uh they you know, they have a lot of good young talent but haven't sold off all of their veterans and they probably won't re-sign Donaldson, so I think yeah, if you want a competitive team next year, you bring up Vlad this year so he gets his feet wet in the same way we've been talking about bringing up Jimenez and Kopech. So I think, uh, in a way, Blue Jays fans have kind of even more of a gripe if Guerrero doesn't make his debut this year. Yeah, just Guerrero has 
he's got superior numbers than Jimenez, but it, it, it should be a lot of fun. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of fireworks, a lot of home runs because Charlotte's a band box. So again, if you get bored watching the White Sox Tiger series, and if you have the minor league first pitch app on your smartphone, if you paid for that package, Bison Buffalo, I'm sorry, Buffalo Bisons against the Charlotte Knights this week, Monday through Wednesday. And speaking as far as the minor leagues, coming up next is the minor league report as Greg and I will reconvene for your questions in P.O. Sox. Hey, everybody. Jay Farner here, CEO of Rocket Mortgage and Rocket Companies. Last year, we saw historically low mortgage interest rates. In fact, over 1 million homeowners took advantage of refinancing or buying a new home with Rocket Mortgage. What you may not know is that interest rates are already starting to increase again. And it's likely that trend is only going to continue. Our team of experts is standing by to help you save before rates go up. With an official mortgage review from Rocket Mortgage, you'll see just how much money you could save by making a move right now. Don't look back over these next few weeks and wish that you had taken action. You could save hundreds on your mortgage payments or pay off your home loan earlier than planned. You could even take cash out of your home to pay off high-interest debt, complete home repairs, or bulk up on an emergency fund. When you want to secure a low rate, Rocket can. Call 833-8-ROCKET or visit rocketmortgage.com. Rocket. Call for cost information and conditions equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states and MLSConsumeraccess.org number 3030. Now it's time for the minor league report. We touched on Charlotte facing Buffalo this upcoming week, but the Knights won this weekend series in Rochester, beating the Minnesota Twins affiliate two out of three games. Eloy Jimenez hit his 10th home run in AAA over the weekend and is hitting 365 with a 409 on base percentage and slugging 683. Shortstop Jose Rondon is slugging 500 in AAA despite his 299 on base percentage. And then there's Ryan Cordell. Cordell is hitting 191 with a 222 on base percentage and slugging 330. Charlie Tilson is a bit better hitting, hitting at 250, 289, 295 is his slash line, but neither are playing well to merit a call up if another outfielder gets hurt for the White Sox, meaning Rick Hahn is running out of players to use as excuses on why he's not calling up Jimenez. Pitching-wise, Michael Kopech threw seven scoreless innings on Saturday and dropped his ERA to 3.81 on the season. In his last 10 starts, Kopech has a 2.33 ERA dating back to June 20th with 79 strikeouts to 18 walks in 58 innings. Again, running out of excuses. Okay, so let's move on from service time issues and head to Montgomery, Alabama for a pivotal series between the Birmingham Barons and the division leaders, the Montgomery Biscuits. This was a five-game series in which the Barons were down four and a half games to start the series to the Biscuits. Unfortunately, the Barons lost the series three games to two and are now 24-26 and 26 in the second half, five and a half games back in the division. While the postseason hopes might have been smashed, there are some key takeaways. One, Zach Collins had a big game where he had two home runs in one inning. In the ninth inning on Friday night's game, Collins hit a two-run homer and then later on hit a grand slam to total six RBIs in one inning. The Barons set a new team record Friday with seven home runs hit. Collins is hitting 246 with a 397 on base percentage, but he's looking 428 as he has 14 home runs and 60 runs batted in. The hottest hitter for the Barons is Alex Call. Call for the season with the Barons covering 46 games is hitting 278 with a 365 on base percentage and he's slugging 500 with 6 home runs, 22 runs batted in, and 15 doubles. For comparison's sake, Eloy Jimenez in 53 games with the Barons hit 317 with a 368 on base percentage and slugged 556 with 10 homers and 15 doubles. Not saying that Call is going to be like Jimenez, but he's just performing slightly below Jimenez did and Birmingham, which is pretty impressive in its own right. Best part, Alex Call is going to be our guest on next week's Sox Machine podcast. So if you support the show via Patreon, submit your questions that you'd like to ask Alex. 
Winston-Salem continues to be awesome. The Dash have won five games in a row. Nick Madrigal is hitting 320 with a 400 on base percentage, and the slugging also matches at 400. As we're not seeing any power from Madrigal, but he's still making plenty of contact while not striking out. Luis Robert is getting back into full swing. In the month of August, Robert is hitting 10 for 29 with two triples, a double, and six stolen bases. Blake Rutherford for the season is hitting 306 with a 357 on base percentage, slugging 452. And Luis Gonzalez continues to impress. Gonzalez is hitting 305 with a 357 on base percentage, and he's slugging 517 with 18 doubles in 41 games. The Dash are 30 and 16 in the second half with a two game lead in the division, so they have a chance to go wire to wire for the regular season crown. If the season were to end today, they would face the Booze Creek Astros in the first round of the playoffs. Maybe a bit of foreshadowing of things to come between the White Sox and Astros in the postseason? Canapolis is struggling in the second half. The Intimidators are 23 and 25 in the second half, but with the Lakewood Blue Claws still leading the division, they're the Philadelphia Phillies affiliate, the Intimidators still have the wildcard lead as they lead that by one and a half games ahead of the West Virginia Power, which is the Pittsburgh Pirates affiliate. Steel Walker is off to a slow start with Canapolis. He's hitting 214 with a 267 on base percentage and slugging 250 in eight games with just one extra base hit, which is a double. Tate Blackman has 11 home runs, hitting 249 with a 351 on base percentage and slugging 393. And Tyler Frost leads the team with 15 home runs. Great Falls won the first half, so that's another White Sox affiliate making the postseason. But the Voyagers are 3-12 in the second half. Lennon Sosa, a 2016 White Sox international signee, is hitting 309 with a 337 on base percentage and slugging 447 in 45 games. He's just 18 years old. Logan Sowers, the White Sox 28th round pick out of Indiana, is hitting 318 with a 411 on base percentage and slugging 518 with seven homers. And speaking of 18-year-olds, Bryce Bush, the White Sox 34th round pick, and his stock is buzzing. He's hitting 5 for 24 since joining Great Falls as he has two doubles, a triple, and a home run. James Fox of Future Sox wrote a terrific profile piece about Bush, so if you want to learn more about him, I suggest checking that out. He's going to be worth keeping an eye on. That will do it for this minor league report. Now it's time for your questions in P.O. Sox. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, the fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Sox where you submitted your questions to us via Twitter by tweeting them to us at Sox Machine, posting them on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Machine, or helping support the show and the website by becoming a friend of the podcast at patreon.com slash Machine. And answering your questions this week in place of Jim is, of course, Greg Nix. And Greg, the first question we've got is from Gukas Leogito. And Gukas is asking, will the White Sox trade anyone this month? Uh, I think... Shield, James Shields is probably still a, a decent bet to get traded. There's a bunch of teams that could use a guy who pitches six innings every five days. Uh, you know, the Mariners come to mind, the A's, maybe the Rockies, even though he probably wouldn't be a good fit there. So I think, uh, you know, we've yet to reach the point, I believe, where Gonzalez got traded last year and Shields still seems like a solid candidate for a similar deal. Um so I would put the odds of that still probably a better than 50-50. Um, I could also, interestingly, see maybe Luis Avilan traded, uh, who's been pitching well and has sort of a very specific utility that maybe there's a couple contenders who don't have a guy who, uh, just a loogie, uh, he's a very good loogie. You don't want him pitching against right-handers, but uh, with that one very specific skill, that's something that has postseason uh, applicability, I guess. Um, so he's the other guy, maybe more than, you know, Cedeno or any of the other bullpen guys. Um, so I, I think there's still probably like a 60% chance that they make a deal. You're more confident than I am with James Shields. I am mentally prepared now, Greg. 
where James Shields doesn't get traded. He pitches the rest of the season with the White Sox. The White Sox buy out his deal, give him $2 million, and James Shields is fishing for a minor league deal with a major league team before spring training to compete for a spot in somebody starting rotation, a la what we've seen with Derek Holland. Maybe. I mean, I, I think it's more comparable. He's been much better this year than Holland was last year. I think it's more comparable yes. to Gonzalez, who got guaranteed money from the White Sox. Um, and if if Shields stuck around, I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world, you know, uh, to take some of the pressure off. Hopefully, fingers crossed, the young guys who are going to make starts in September um, and sort of be that mentor figure that we've heard a lot about and heard a lot of the young pitchers praise. So, you know, the... The upside of trading him is sort of a lottery ticket prospect, and the Sox system is deep enough that they don't necessarily need that prospect if the deal isn't there or if they see utility in having him around. All right, our next question is a combo where I took two questions that I think are related, and let's ponder this. The first part of the question comes from Kevin on Twitter, and Kevin is asking, why is Yerman Mercedes still in Winston-Salem given how he's mashing? Is he really just an organization guy at this point? And our buddy, Yoan Dabrinsky, is asking, this was the time that Zach Collins and Eloy Jimenez were promoted to AA last year. Do you see Collins getting the call to AAA this year? And the reason I combine this is that if Mercedes were to get called up to Birmingham, it would be because Birmingham would need to open up a spot at catcher. In order to do that, they would have to promote Zach Collins or, or another catcher, I guess, uh, other than Collins. But let's say Zach Collins to Charlotte. So, Greg, do you see Zach Collins getting promoted to Charlotte? And what do you think of Yerman Mercedes with the Winston-Salem Dash? I'd be a little bit surprised if Collins got promoted uh, just because, you know, he, he's had a good season, I think. He's um, done what he's needed to, but aside from sort of that hot streak that he went on in May, he hasn't been overwhelming. And I think even if he was having a great season uh, at the plate, I think, you know, he needs reps behind the plate. And uh, I think Sebi Zavala, you know, needs those reps too. Um, so I think it's probably good for the organizational depth chart that they have a few months apart from each other. So they're not doing that 50-50 timeshare. They can each uh, focus a little bit more on on the defensive stuff. Um, as far as Mercedes, I think in a way he is an organizational guy. He's 25 and high A. Uh, he is having a very good season hitting. Um, so maybe, you know, you could describe him as an organizational guy with upside, but I don't think he's the kind of player that you would take reps away from Zach Collins to give him playing time. Um you know, he's he's going to have to earn his keep at every level that he gets to. And I think probably he's played well enough that catcher, the starting catcher job at double A will be here. Excuse me, will be his next year. But I don't think there's any need to expedite that timeline because he just isn't quite, you know, a well-regarded enough prospect to force the issue. I do enjoy his bat flips, though. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's a he's a fun player from what I've seen, you know, he's kind of like one of those, uh, he looks a little bit like, uh, Williams, a studio, the guy on the twins, (laughs) like, you know, real squat, (laughs) real slow. He's got more power than a studio does, but yeah, he, he can swing it a little bit. Um, and so I think next year we will kind of find out if there is a major league player or a player with major league potential there when he's, uh, up a level and facing tougher competition because right now he is several years older than what I guess you should be at high A. You mentioned a studio, a studio with Rochester. He's currently with the Rochester Red Wings. They faced the Charlotte Knights this past weekend and uh, going up against Michael Kopech. He took a Michael Kopech fastball into the chest. He couldn't turn his shoulder in. So he took the pitch into the chest and that, that is one of the things I never want to suffer through in my life is taking a 97 mile per hour fastball into the chest. <laughs> yeah, that that might be the point at which I'd retire if I was him. I'd say I've had I enough of die. this. I'm going home. 
Oh, I couldn't imagine the uh, the welt. I'm sure the laces were imprinted on his <laughs> on his pecs. Oh, poor guy, poor guy. Great questions though, guys. Our next question comes from Andrew Siegel, and I think this one is important. Andrew's asking the whole reason for this rebuild is so that the White Sox can have waves of talent to keep them competitive over the coming years. It seems like the only truly dominant team in the minors right now is the Winston-Salem Dash. Do you see a potential for waves of talent to hit? You know, I think it's interesting that the Dash were the example used in this question because the Dash are actually an excellent example of waves of talent. Um, You know, the team is pretty markedly different from the first half. Uh, They lost Luis Basabe, Joel Booker, Dylan Cease, Alex Call, among others, and then added Nick Madrigal, Luis Gonzalez, Luis Robert, Laz Rivera, uh, a few pitchers, Blake Battenfield, a couple guys who are interesting. So, you know, I think the fact that Winston-Salem has maintained being a good team in spite of a lot of talent being promoted is probably a good sign that there are waves of talent and there is some separation in terms of their development. Um, So, you know, obviously you want as much of that as you can have. And so I think, uh, you know, a lot of it will depend on how this year's draft picks turn out as far as whether that those waves keep coming. Um, Also the international guys, there's kind of a few more international guys of interest than there have been in the past, sort of aside from the big, you know, Mike Rodolfo, big bonus guys, but Amado Nunez and Lennon Sosa are both having good years in uh, Great Falls. Uh, There's some guys doing interesting things in Kannapolis. So, you know, I think the potential is there for it. I think, uh, obviously, there's a long way to go in terms of development, but I wouldn't I think this is kind of a case of the uh, dower of the major league squad and the lack of promotions of the exciting prospects kind of trickling down. Because if you look at the system right now, you know, that their top prospects are all at different levels and are all at different developmental periods. So, you know, they should theoretically come up in waves to the point where finally there's Rickon's mythical critical mass at some point. But, uh, yeah, I think that we're seeing it, and hopefully we continue to see it. That's a great point, Greg, because when I'm doing these highlights and I'm cutting them together, which you can subscribe to the YouTube channel, I have to. Fo- I can only focus on one game, but I want to focus on what's happening in Charlotte because you do have Kopech and you have Jimenez. You also have Ian Hamilton and Subby Zavala that could be contributors to the White Sox at some point in 2019. And then you have Birmingham... And then you have Winston-Salem, and the Dash are just so darn entertaining to watch. If they don't win the Carolina League Championship this year, I'd be shocked. They've just been head and shoulders above everybody else in the Carolina League this year. And as you mentioned, there are some players to pay attention to in Kannapolis and shoot even in Great Falls in Rookie League. Uh, So it will be interesting to see how the 2019 season starts and if these guys with this wave hopefully – they all have very good seasons in Birmingham. I think that's going to be the key because Double A is the toughest test uh, for the White Sox minor leaguers. And if they can succeed in Birmingham, if the if the Barons can be very competitive or they win the first half in the Southern League next year, uh, then I think it's really time to get excited because it means that all these prospects are performing well. Uh, but then you're going to have some guys in the second half go to Charlotte. <laughs> you know, and uh, and some of them will probably stick around and play the entire year in Birmingham. So I, I, I sense two waves are being produced at the moment, uh, and a third one could be generating, depending on the talent and how well they're playing, down in Arizona, in Great Falls, and Kannapolis. Uh, see how the most recent draft picks have, um, I guess, been developed since they've joined the White Sox organization. We can't forget about Jake Berger as well, but I don't think Jake Berger is part of these two waves. He may be leading the third wave unless he really lights the world on fire when he gets back from injury. But you you make a great point, Greg. We are seeing these waves of talent. I know it's just been a lot of fun with Winston-Salem with all the wins that they're having, but Charlotte and Birmingham have been, been playing much better baseball in the second half. So it is spread across the three major levels for the White Sox in the organization. 
Thank you guys so much for your terrific questions this week in P.O. Socks. Again, if you have a question that you would like us to tackle on this show, follow us on Twitter. We're at Socks Machine. Like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Socks Machine. And again, you can help support the show by becoming a friend of the podcast by going to patreon.com slash Socks Machine, where our supporters get an opportunity to submit questions that we will ask to the guests and we answer in P.O. Socks. They only get to hear that part of the interview or P.O. Socks. So if you're interested in getting more content from us, again, go to patreon.com slash Socks Machine to sign up. And Greg, thank you so much for stepping in and filling in for Jim. I'm very excited about your new web series on YouTube on the Nickelodeon channel. It is... It's not Space Catman. Space Kid and Cat. Space S- Kid and Cat. <laughs> Space Kid and Cat. So again, go to YouTube and look that up. And uh, I'm definitely going to be doing that this evening to see your work. I'm excited. Uh, but again, thank you so much for coming on. Hey, thanks, Josh. It's always a pleasure. And again, you can listen to Greg's show, the Duck Snort Podcast, everywhere that you can hear podcasts. And you can follow Greg at Greg Nick's Human, And of course, listen to his White Sox wake-up calls during the week on our Socks Machine podcast feed. And speaking of the Socks Machine podcast feed, if you just discovered the show, you can subscribe in a variety of ways. One is through iTunes by going to the iTunes store, searching Socks Machine, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and audioboom.com slash Socks Machine. The Socks Machine podcast is a production of SocksMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Greg Nix, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible x gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.